Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm really happy you could be there today. Uh, I wish I could be there with you. Uh, sadly, I tested positive to COVID Saturday morning. Um, I just could not believe the timing. Unbelievable. But, um, uh, you know, we, we've decided to persevere and thanks to the wonders of modern technology, uh, we can do it this way. It's not ideal. I'd really rather be there in person. So I'll do the best I can with it. Um, so today we're looking at uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Uh, now, these 10 verses contain fundamental Christian doctrine. Uh, and it's absolutely essential that Christians uh, understand this, this doctrine, accept it, because it says some things that are very, very hard to accept. Um, and we're going to go into that later. Um, but Christians need to make their peace with this so that they can preach a true gospel to people that don't know Christ. Um, but before we get into that, uh, we'll pray because it's always good to pray to the giver of the word before we study his word. So, um, hopefully you'll pray with me, uh, heavenly father. Um, you know, just thank you, uh, for giving us your word. And, um, I'm so grateful that you've preserved, accurately preserved your word over the centuries in a way that we can know that it's, that it's authoritative, it's trustworthy, it's reliable. Um, and I'm so grateful that you've given us something tangible that we can go to, uh, rather than make up our own doctrines, we can come to your word and see exactly and read for ourselves exactly what your will is for our lives uh, in Christ. And um, I just pray that we'll all have uh, a genuine uh, desire to be in your word and to study your word and to um, and to uh, test your word and, and, and challenge each other and, and sharpen each other. Um, and just, um, and, and, and make the, make your word the fundamental bedrock of our Christian walk. And I just pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So, um, so you guys are most likely familiar with this culturally accepted, embedded idea that, you know, the good guys go to heaven and the bad guys go to hell. I'm sure you've heard that. Uh, it's pretty much the worldview. It's the culturally embedded worldview on the subject. So, you know, if you, some sort of, uh, punishment or reward in the afterlife. So if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, some sort of reward, i.e. heaven, or if your bad deeds outweigh your good deeds, some sort of punishment, i.e. hell. Uh, if you're familiar, if you, if you have a, like more of an Eastern type leaning in your religion or your philosophy, uh, there's obviously the concept of, um, of, uh, of, 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 of uh, like karma reincarnation so so let's say i blow it in this life i might be reincarnated and come back as something lower down the down the totem pole like a butterfly or something uh and i've got to sort of earn my way back to a, a higher incarnation and, and keep climbing the karmic ladder so to speak with with the goal of ultimately attaining nirvana and freeing myself from from the from the from the karmic cycle from the cycle of rebirth that's that's like a sort of buddhist type philosophy um hindu type philosophy uh, so, um, but what you're going to learn about, 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 about Christianity, what we know about Christianity, Jesus Christ takes those kinds of claims about heaven and hell and he flips them upside down. Uh, there is nothing, there's nothing like the claim of Christ about salvation. It's completely exclusive and unique amongst all other claims out there. Um, so, uh, in these 10 verses, uh, Paul covers three topics that I want to expound on today. Um, and I've broken the, uh, I've broken the text up into three parts. So, we're, so we're going to look first at verses one to three, where Paul describes the natural state of man. Uh, then we're going to look at verses four to nine, where Paul tells the Ephesians how and why the Christian is saved, or sorry, why and how. Um, 
And finally, verse 10, Paul explains where good works fit into the Christian equation. Okay, so let's get started. So in verse 1, Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Right off the bat, boom, Paul's making a highly provocative statement. Scripture repeats this theme over and over again, that sin leads to death. Uh, It all started at creation. We have to go back to the Garden of Eden. So uh, if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, God says to Adam and Eve, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you eat from it, you will surely die. And in chapter 3, we read how Adam and Eve did in fact make that decision to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good or evil, good and evil. In effect, what they did was they chose to pursue their own righteousness, their own godliness, their own morality, um, rather than by resting and trusting in the provision and wisdom of God. Um, but we know that Adam and Eve went on to live for years after that incident. You know, God said to them, in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. But they went on to live for, for many, many years afterwards. So what happened there? The moment they transgressed, while they were still physically alive, they became spiritually dead, judged guilty and awaiting the formal carrying out of their sentence. And in chapter three, when they commit this sin, um, God curses the earth. He curses the ground. And this is where death, sin and curses, disease, genetic breakdown. Uh, this is where this all enters into the human experience. This is where the train gets off the track. And this state of spiritual death was inherited from Adam by all mankind. A couple of weeks ago, Tim mentioned the verse uh, in Romans uh, 5.12, Paul wrote, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. So if you, if you, if you have a look at that quickly, Romans 5.12, so it's more than that we just inherited this curse from Adam. We actually inherited this sinful nature and we have all exercised that sinful nature because it says, because all sinned. So it's more than just us having this thrust upon us. We've been given a sinful nature and we've chosen to express it and, 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 and um, exercise it. If you read Isaiah chapter uh, sorry, 59 verse 2, um, Isaiah writes, But your iniquities or your sins, have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So sin causes separation from God. And we know from creation that God is the, he's the author of life. He's the sustainer of life. So if we are eternally separated from God, that can only mean that ultimately at some stage we're facing death. It's our, it's, it's the ultimate conclusion. So back to Ephesians, verses 2 and 3, Paul writes, In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So in the past tense, the members of the church at Ephesus we're following the ways of the world, Paul said. And Paul goes on to say that all of us were following these ways, satisfying the cravings of the flesh and following his desires and thoughts. So when you, when you take that into account, that's the ways of the world and that it was all of us, 
Even though this letter is written to the Ephesians, this suddenly is not just an Ephesian problem anymore, is it? This, is, this has become a worldly problem. This is a humanity problem. Paul's saying that the entire world is infected with this spirit of sin. And Paul says further that it's in our nature. For a bit more context on that, uh, if you read 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, John writes, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. See, so all who are born of the world have this spirit of sin and actively pursue the desires of the flesh. And people in this, in this, in this, in this state of sin, they have negotiated with their conscience. They no longer struggle against their conscience. Okay. Our conscience is a gift from God that informs us when we do something evil, right? But people have, rather than listening to their conscience, they compromise and negotiate with their conscience and they rationalize their evil and they actually make their evil seem good. And we're all guilty of this. By nature, we too often tend to do what's expedient, what's convenient, what's beneficial to us, what's satisfying or what's pleasurable rather than doing what's right in God's sight. And it's by nature that we're sinners, dead in our transgressions, deserving of God's wrath. Check out Psalm 51 verses 3 to 5. The psalmist writes, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So the psalmist is writing that we're sinful from conception and that God's verdict of guilty is right and that God is justified when he judges us. Now, don't just take it from Paul or take it from the psalmist. Take it from Jesus himself. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. The implication there is clear. Because by our first natural birth, we are by nature born into sin and death. Therefore, we must be born again to see the kingdom of God. And Jesus says later in verse 18, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So by our natural birth state, we stand condemned awaiting judgment. And we're all born into this state. So make no mistake about it. We're not born pure and untainted as the Zen masters teach. We're actually born into sin and stand condemned. It's in our actual nature. Jesus says in Mark 10, 18, no one is good, but God alone. God alone. Very exclusive. God is the only one who is good. Um, I'm just going to mention a few people. Um, and if you, I highly recommend, I won't have time to do it this morning, but if you're not familiar with uh, Hebrews chapter 11, um, read that at some point. Uh, the whole book of Hebrews is just masterful, but Hebrews chapter 11 mentions many of these people by name, and it, say, and it, and it implies that they are all saved. But let's have a look at some of these people. The Bible rec- has a record of the sin of man. So let's look at Abraham for existence, right? the, fa- the father of, of, the, of the nation of Israel. He pimped out his wife every time he came into a new city for fear that he would be killed because of her beauty. 
He pimped out his own wife to save his skin, to save his life. Uh, what about Judah? Judah's um, one of the 12 tribes of Israel is named after Judah. He's one of the, the 12 sons of uh, Jacob, of Israel. You know, uh, we did a study on this about eight, ten months back. Uh, Judah used prostitutes. Moses. You know, Moses was a man of great faith. But even he got angry and disobeyed God's command to speak water from the rock. And instead, he struck it twice with his staff. Samson. Now, this guy, <laughs> this guy broke about just every law there was. He ate honey from carcasses. Uh, he was a, he was a drunkard. He was a womanizer. He was a mass murderer. What about King David? Scripture says King David was a man after God's own heart. But he had, yet he had a man murdered so that he could have the man's wife. And then you move forward to the New Testament. Look at the disciples. There's, there's, there's repeated, um, examples of their, their ego, their ambition, and their, their arrogance. And these were people who knew God. These people saw miracles, yet they still could not stop succumbing to the evil desires of their flesh. And I've observed this my entire life, uh, in myself and in others. And I can remember one time, uh, I was working at a job here in Wagga, um, and, uh, it was at a customer service center. I won't say where. And, uh, and I was out the back, um, having lunch, you know, it was lunchtime. And there's some ladies out the back there, uh, and they're all getting pretty close to 60, maybe probably even a bit older. And these were, you know, these sweet little older ladies, you know, with the flowery shirts and the, the whole bit, you know, the stereotypical kind of older lady. And they're sweet and lovely and smiled. And when I first met them, they're like, oh, hi, nice to meet you, blah, 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 good customer service. But I couldn't help but notice, and I was looking at this through my Christian lens, um, because I'd had some experiences earlier in the day that sort of made me understand that they weren't Christian. Um, so just, just certain worldviews, things that express politically and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I, it was, it was obvious they weren't Christian. Um, and, but they were talking about, there was a woman who wasn't present and they were talking about this woman, gossiping about this woman and degrading her in the most abhorrent manner. Um, and it was that kind of, it was that self-righteous arrogance reminiscent of the Pharisees, the way they were just putting this woman down. Um, and I can't tell you how many times I've had people tell me that I need Christ as a crutch because I don't have the morals to be good on my own. But then I tell you what, you sit back and you watch those very same people. And I'm not singling anyone out. I'm not judging anybody. This is all humanity. And it's just my experience. You watch people and I've seen it. The same people, the same self-righteous people, you sit back and watch, you find out, you suddenly discover they're cheating on their wife or they're beating their wife and kids or they've got some other little illegal scam going on that no one knew about. And then like I've seen these people lose their jobs because of corruption. Um, and, and it might not be anything as drastic and dramatic as that. It might just be, just observe the way they treat people. The way that, you know, just watch them, watch, watch them, watch them demean people and, and wish harm on people and bad things on people who break their self-righteous, uh, moral code. Um, it's, it's terrible the way we treat one another. We demean and marginalize each other all the time. Everybody's guilty of it. So to recap what Paul says in verses one to three, every person ever born in this world outside of Christ is following the wicked and lustful ways of the world and they're spiritually dead awaiting their inevitable judgment, death and hell. This is serious, serious business, guys. Now, I wrote a little, I wrote a little fairy tale. You guys like fairy tales? This is a little one I made up. Check this out. Once upon a time, 
there lived a race of beings called humans. They were evil and did horrible things to one another. They were created by a good and holy God, but they rejected him and chose to go their own way. So their God rightfully judged them guilty and sentenced them all to death. The end. It's not a very uplifting story, is it? I'm not known for my storytelling. But imagine that's how our saga, the human saga, actually ended. And the incredible thing is, is it easily could have. Because scripture says that God is right and just and correct in his judgment of us. So it could have ended that way. God is perfectly within his rights to annihilate us all. However, there's good news of the gospel. And, and you guys know what it is. There's a great big but coming. It's, a, it's such a small word, but it's so profound. And Paul goes on to say in verses 4 through 9, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So here we get down to the bare bones, guys. Why can, can people be saved? It's because of God's love for them. No other reason. God does not owe us. We have not paid our dues. But Paul says God loves us. In verse 6, Paul says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages we might, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So that's the why. Jesus says the same thing. We all know this. This is the classic scripture, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's an exclusively Christian claim. And Paul's saying the only reason people don't go to hell is because God loves them. So what are these incomparable riches of his grace that Paul talks about? Um, well, the big obvious one to me is salvation from a deserved death and hell. And for me personally, that's enough. I'm grateful that God has given me life when I don't deserve it. But there's actually more than that. It's actually so much more, so, so much better than that. Um, just all you have to do to get a sense of what heaven's going to be like is just look at the common grace that God has given to this fallen world, to sinners in this world, people who are destined for death and hell. Just, just, just think about the things that we sadly take for granted. The five senses. Look at this beautiful world he's given us to enjoy. I'm looking around this room, but you know what I mean. Um, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, the, the sky, the stars, the sun, the moon. Um, deep blue oceans, green valleys, mountains, rivers, forests. Um, there's so much diversity. He's given us the five senses to enjoy music, tastes, beautiful foods, um, the birds chirping, beautiful, great music, you know, even just things, you know, like having a laugh with your friends. There's such a, such an incredibly, uh, heartwarming experience. And then he's given us, um, he's given us the gift of marriage and romance and intimacy. So that we can physically connect to a person for life and make that lifelong commitment. And then through that, we raise, we, we have family. It's one of, it's, it, it, these are incredible gifts that God's blessed us with. Now, if this is what he's given to, to a world that is fallen and is cursed, 
Do you think heaven's going to be anything less than that? Absolutely no way. The Bible says that we will never thirst, we'll never be hungry, we'll never be too hot or too cold, and we'll be eternally surrounded by people who genuinely love us that we can trust. Now, heaven's going to be amazing. And these are the incomparable riches that God has in store for those he loves in spite of our sin. So that's the why. So what about the how? I really want you guys to pay attention here because I think it's a problem in in the church. Verse 8, Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works. Notice how Paul groups both grace and faith together. Of both of these elements, Paul says they are not from yourselves, but they are the gift of God. He does not write that God provides grace, which is then activated by our faith, by our choice to trust in God. No, grace is both, both grace and faith are gifts from God. Now, if it were necessary for us to choose in Christ, that would be a work. But Paul clearly says in verse 8, he finishes off by saying, not by works, so that no one can boast. God gets the glory in this saga, not us. And he deserves it, and we don't. So friends, there is nothing you or I can do to save ourselves. Without God, without Christ... All is lost. And that's the truth. But that's actually good news. How can that be good news, you might be wondering. It's good news because it's absolutely impossible to earn your way into heaven. No one's ever pulled it off. People have tried and failed. I've tried myself and I fail every day. I can't even get close. And as I discussed earlier, even the greatest men of faith in the Bible failed to live a sinless life. Now, the problem with this wonderful news is sadly so many professing Christians fail to accept it. Christians, too many, too often, Christians keep trying to add works to grace. This is blasphemy, my friends. If you can earn your way to heaven with good deeds, then Christ died for nothing. There's nothing other than the grace of God through faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ alone that can save you. Nothing else you can do. It's not your baptism. It's not your speaking in tongues. It's not your church attendance. It's not your prophesying or your Sabbath keeping or your charity or your keeping of the Old Testament law. None of that will save you. If you are relying on any of those things to secure your salvation, I have to put it to you that you are not saved. And I had a crazy revelation about this uh, about a week ago when I was doing the first practice run of this with the guys from the group. Because I've always struggled with Calvinism or predestination. So for those of you that are new to Christian doctrine, uh, Calvinism is, is, the, is, is, the, is the idea that God chooses us for salvation. We don't choose to trust in him. As I just uh, said from Paul's letter, grace and faith come from God, not us. Um, now, I used to struggle with that. It's, a, it's Granted, it's a hard concept to grasp. And I always wondered about those who fall away from the faith. And here's what I realized, and I'll back this up in a second with scripture, but here's what I realized. The ones who fall away are the ones who choose themselves to trust in Christ, which means because we're fickle, finite creatures, us humans, 
When life gets tough, we fall away. Okay, but the ones who never fall away are the ones whom God chooses. Now, this is incredibly exciting for me because this is just something I've sort of relearned or whatever. Right, but check this scripture out. And here's Jesus saying the exact same thing. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, reading from verse 27. 10, John chapter 10, 27. Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. There it is right there, brothers and sisters. God chooses who's going to be saved, who's going to be given to Christ. And once he's got a hold of you, you're saved. Your your salvation is secure. It cannot be stolen away. So it raises an important issue though, doesn't it? Right? Because how do you know that your salvation is your choice? How do you know your faith in Christ is generated by you or generated by God? Um, and it's an important thing because it can raise a scarier issue than, 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 you know, it's, it's another question that's got to be answered. So we need to deal with it. Okay. So let's come back to heaven and hell for a second. All right. We've got two destinations, heaven and hell. Right. Now the Bible says we're all evil, right? But we've got two destinations. So fundamentally that means we've got two different types of people. That's logical, isn't it? So what's the difference between those destined for heaven and those destined for hell? Okay. Here's how you can tell the difference. And Paul gets to it in verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, here is where the good deeds come in. They come after salvation in Christ, not before. Because if you do good deeds to earn your salvation, then obviously salvation is your motivation, not a genuine love for your neighbor. Your deeds are not done out of genuine love. They're done with a selfish desire for salvation as their motivator. Okay, but the saved Christian does not do good deeds out of um, out of out of out of selfishness. They do good deeds out of genuine love. The true the Christian's already saved. They don't need to do anything, but they just want to. That's the difference, uh, and it's a highly important distinction. And that uh, brings to mind, obviously, um, Paul talks about this in Galatians uh, chapter five twenty two. Talks about the fruit of the spirit. And he writes in Galatians 5.22, he writes, For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, uh, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I misquoted that, sorry. I can't read my own handwriting. But these, you know, these things are what are the fruit of the Spirit. Um. Now, if you're genuinely saved in Christ, there will be there will be a tug of war going on between your flesh and your and your and your own will to wanna and you're gonna existentially you're gonna struggle with this stuff. And that's a good thing. If you're struggling against your if your conscience and your will are struggling against your flesh, I'm convinced that means you're saved in Christ because you because God has awakened has woken your conscience back up and put you aligned with his will. And day by day, he's going to help you and change you and make you better. Now, a lot of people who know me know I work out at the jail out at Juni. 
Um, now, these guys that I deal with every day, they are very rough around the edges, to say the least. These guys have some deeply embedded bad habits that have been practicing since childhood. You know, really bad language, violence, um, bad tempers, all that kind of stuff. You know, and these are scary looking guys. They're covered from head to foot in tattoos. You know, some of them are bloody ginormous, you know. And, um, but I have seen the gospel genuinely change these guys. Yeah, they're always going to be a little rough around the edges, but I've seen, I've seen them genuinely start to walk with a peace and a joy that they never had before. And they genuinely start to love and be considerate towards other people. And that is the transformative power of the spirit that when God regenerates your heart and it can only be achieved through faith in Christ. And it's the gift of God. It's a beautiful thing to see. Now, there's another attitude uh, of the unsaved person that I feel I have to touch on because I think it's one of the greatest sins, and that's the sin of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is where you are relying on your own goodness, believing that goodness flows from your character rather than from God. Uh, now, Jesus paints the, distinct- the distinction between the humble, saved Christian and the self-righteous, unsaved man in Luke chapter 18. Uh, verses 9 through 14. That's Luke 18, 9 to 14. Jesus says, uh, the scriptures say, so to some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the, went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like everyone else. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. In other words, this guy is saying, God, aren't I just so righteous and good? Aren't I just so deserving of of heaven? But the tax collector, Jesus says, said, he stood at a distance. He could not even look up to heaven. The implications that he's just so ashamed to be in the presence of God. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Nothing will send a person to hell quicker than self-righteousness. And the best way to become self-righteous is to do a few shallow good deeds. And advertise them especially. You see how in the, in, in the kingdom of heaven, everything that we hold sacred here on earth is flipped upside down, inside out. You know, Jesus says, all who humble themselves will be exalted. Here on earth, it's whoever exalts themselves will be exalted. Jesus says, the first will be last and the last will be first. Here on earth, the first are the first and the last are the losers. In the kingdom of heaven, everything's opposed to the ways of this world. And we're coming back now, I, come, I bring you back to that original thing I said about the good guys going to heaven and the bad guys going to hell. What we learn from these passages, and, and which is supported by the rest of scripture, is heaven's actually going to be full of forgiven sinners. And hell is going to be full of self-righteous, unforgiven sinners who boasted about their goodness. But as, as Paul says in chapter 9, no one can boast. So what are the applications of all this, guys, to wrap things up? What, what, do I want, what do I want you to take home from this today? So it's two sort of main things. 
Um, the first thing I want you to realize is this, is the, is the dreadful seriousness of being outside of the body of Christ. Look, I know it's exclusive. Um, but that is the claim. And if Jesus Christ is the truth, then it would be wise to put your faith and trust in him and get to know him. Right now, God has invited us to work with him. He's invited us to participate and he uses us to share the gospel. Right? So the first thing I want you to realize is if you really believe that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, that means that your neighbor who doesn't know Christ is perishing. They're as good as dead. So I plead with you. Don't go another day humoring your perishing neighbor without telling them the gospel. Um, the other thing that I hope you'll take away from this today is if you are one of these Christians who is doubting your salvation, stressing about fretting, oh, I, I slipped up the other day or I could have, I could have picked up that hitchhiker or I could have done this or I could have done that, right? I didn't, I haven't done enough. You know, if you're, or if you, if you're, if you're still under the curse of the law, you're trying to obey the Old Testament law or, um, keep the Sabbath or, or any of this stuff. Or if you're thinking, you know, baptism is a beautiful expression of your faith in Christ. I encourage everyone to do it, but it's not going to save you. You know, if you're thinking I'm not saved until I get baptized, I encourage you. I hope today that you'll take away from this to just learn to rest in your salvation, trust in God, trust in Christ, trust their word, trust his word that says, that salvation is by God's grace through faith from God alone, not of yourselves. I really pray and hope that you'll learn to just rest and trust in that and stop. You know, Martin Luther, one of the, the reformers, that, that's, that, that, that was what led to his own revelation was he was in the Catholic tradition. He was punishing himself every time he sinned. You know, he was whipping himself and, and, and doing all sorts of, you know, uh, ascetic, ascetic type, you know, self punishment, um, to atone for his sin. You know, and he actually finally read the scriptures and he went, no, what am I doing? I'm an idiot. It says right here, salvation is and forgiveness come through God's grace, through faith, through him alone. And that's what's, that's one of the, you know, one of the, one of the things that, you know, contributed to the reformation happening. So yeah, I really want you guys to, to take that on board and, and internalize that and under, and make your peace with that. It's all God. It's not us. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll wrap it up there guys. Um, so let's pray. Hey. Um, Father, I thank you so much that your gift of salvation is by your work and not my work. Because if it was by my work, Lord, I, I would be, or I would be lost because I know I've tried. I want to do so much better than I do and I consistently fail. So Father, thank you for choosing us. Thank you for uh, giving us your free gift of, of grace and faith through Christ. Um, and Father, I just pray that we will feel feel the urgency and the pressing nature of sharing the gospel, of being your instruments in the world to make people aware of the the gospel, so that they so that they you then activate their faith yourself. Um, and Father, please um, please help us to rest in our salvation, to trust in our salvation, and then receive that freedom to then go and do good works as you've prepared in advance for us to do, and to go and love and serve our neighbour in genuine love. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you all. Um, and also, hopefully I'll see you soon.